Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. Spencer McLaughlin, we've had him on the show a few times. I love to get his perspective on the Ducks in particular. He hosts a podcast called Locked On Ducks, Locked On Pac-12. Spencer McLaughlin with us. Hey, um, let's kick around the Pac-4 thing because I know you recorded a podcast about it. You've got some strong opinions. Um, it's dicey stuff. There's no perfect answer. But what's the right thing for the remaining four schools in the Pac-12, Spencer? Well, I think for Oregon State and Washington State specifically, if you're not getting into a Power 5 league and there doesn't appear to be an appetite right now, for that to happen from the Big 12 or the ACC or the Big 10 or, or anybody, and of course the SEC isn't doing any of this sort of stuff, then I, I think your best option is the Mountain West. If you're Stanford and Cal, you know, as much as it, uh, it makes me feel kind of bad to, to say this, I think the best option for all parties that, that remain is for the pack to just fully dissolve, to just have everybody go their separate ways and try to find the, the best home that they can. And for Stanford and Cal, that'd be either the Big Ten or, or the ACC, I I feel like they would wear down one of those conferences eventually. I know their football tradition hasn't been great the last uh, four or five years or so, but they have such a big market and they're such strong academic powers. I, I don't know how they get left out of the Power Five forever. It might be a short stint in you know a Mountain West or as an independent, but I, I can't see them staying out of there forever. But then for Oregon State, Washington State, I, I think the Mountain West, is going to give you the most stability. The American is a very transient conference right now, and I don't think that's necessarily going to stop. You have teams in there like Rice, Tulane, and SMU that are are all, you know, getting mentioned in uh, as potential realignment candidates now and in the future. And I think that could continue. And sure, you have that in the Mountain West, but I think it's more stable. And I think if you put Oregon State, Washington State in the Mountain West right now, John, that is the premier. G5 football conference and a win in that conference championship game probably gets you an, an auto bid into uh, into the college football playoff or at least gives you a very good chance to do so. I'm going to unpack a couple things and kick it around with you. Let's compare Mountain West Conference and uh, the American Athletic Conference, or the American as yep. they're known. Uh, the Mountain West Conference members currently getting about $5 million a year in their media rights deal. Maybe Washington State, Oregon State join. That boosts a little bit. The Americans getting about seven million a year. I think you know, as you talk to proponents of the American, they'll say, "Hey, look, the geography is not as favorable as the Mountain West, but you get to recruit the state of Texas more heavily." And uh, you know, eight of the last ten years, they've put a a team on a New Year's Day bowl game. And um, you know, you you bring Oregon State and Washington State into that conference, and now I sound like I'm selling the American. Uh, you, you know, you bring them in there, and you know, they've they probably compete. Uh, it, just with Tulane, maybe. I mean, we saw what Tulane did a year ago as the you know, as the only uh, potential team that could be in your way. You go into the Mountain West Conference and you got Boise State, Fresno State. We all know what you know what what the Mountain West is about. Does that give you any pause? Any of that? Well, I think for Oregon State and Washington State, the, the American Conference might have that that kind of you know shiny allure because they can make that statement that they've put teams in. Uh, in, in New Year's Six games. But who have those teams been? I mean, aside from Tulane, it's been UCF and it's been Cincinnati that have been playing in, in those games, and those teams aren't there. And Oregon State and Washington State, whichever G5 conference they would go to, 
would, of course, bolster the lineup that, that plays in that league significantly, and they would be able to contend in those leagues. But, you know, for, for Oregon State, Washington State, is it going to do – so much for you on the recruiting trail. Neither program has, you know, uh, made made its hay in the pack and had its best seasons with uh, with big time recruits. They've always had to do more with less, and that's something that both coaches, I think, are familiar with and are good at as well. Jake Dickert up at uh, Washington State and Jonathan Smith at, at Oregon State, and. Yeah, it might, it might give you a little bit more access to Texas, but how appealing is Corvallis, Oregon, or Pullman, Washington to kids from the state of Texas to begin with when you have those brands that are, you know, not as powerful as, that are literally not power brands in this, in this hypothetical that we're, we're laying out. So I, I think the lineup of teams going forward is still stronger at their best with Boise State, Fresno State, and San Diego State. Now they have some rebuilding to do, but really those three teams have been really good. And they've been beating up on each other quite a bit. I know Tulane had a great season a year ago, but they were a 2-10 and team the year prior. So they still have to prove that it wasn't just a flash in the pan. I get the allure of the American, but I think the geography, the stability and pedigree of the Mountain West, I think that gives you the best shot. Spencer McLaughlin, Locked On Pac-12 podcast. He hosts it. Find it where you find your podcast. Spencer, um, play, I'm going to play devil's advocate. I, I agree with a lot of what you're saying. And, but, and I also think it's a true dilemma. Like, there's no real way out of this for those schools. I mean, they are in dire straits, and seeing st- as long as Stanford and Cal are alongside you, I would be tempted, because I would view the Mountain West and I would view the American as fallback options, I would be tempted to sit tight, but I would need at some point a guarantee from Stanford or Cal that they're going to stick around, I just don't know if they're going to be willing to give it. Further, let me throw this wrinkle in there. You've got NCAA tournament units that are given to the conferences. They belong to the conference, not the individual teams. Six-year rolling basis, UCLA, USC, Oregon, Oregon State going to the Elite Eight. Um, the Pac-12 will get about 60 to $70 million per year over the next six years that will come in distributions. If they completely dissolve, those distributions go back to the original schools. If not, they belong to the conference and whoever stays behind does that give you any pause if you're one of the four remaining schools, knowing that you'd you'd get a big chunk of that sixty to seventy million a year in the next six years? Well, it would make the pack a more appealing option for Washington State and Oregon State, but that information is currently available to Cal and Stanford, and they've kicked the tires on the Big Ten and the ACC already. And I, I if I'm Oregon State and Washington State, as shady and dark and ominous as it sounds, I. I can't trust a word that would come out of Cal or Stanford's mouth that says anything to the effect of we're committed to being here in, in the pack because everybody's committed until uh, uh, until a better offer comes along. You're only as loyal as, as, as your options. And if the options become more attractive where you can guarantee you're in a power conference, I, I don't know how even with you know the, the factors that you discuss, which which make it appealing for sure I, I don't know how cal and stanford say no to that you know nobody has so far i don't know why they would be this uh maybe because they're cal and stanford and they prioritize academics so much but either conference they'd be going to would be premier academic conferences the acc and the big 10 are yeah. uh, they've got a bunch of great schools they've got a lot of great research institutions and cal and stanford fit in to those really really well so it just seems like it would be if not when the Big Ten or ACC decides to change their mind and try to get them at, you know, reduce like the Big Ten with, uh, with, with Oregon and Washington. You know, it was months ago that they were vetted and cleared 
And then once the price got as low as possible when the Pac-12 media deal was announced to be, you know, somewhere in the mid-20s for guaranteed money, they came to Oregon and Washington and said, yeah, we'll take you for, you know, whatever is $32.5, $35 million. If they'd made that offer to Oregon and Washington, you know, membership in August 2022, it probably comes closer to 40 or $50 million, but they got them on the cheap. So I think that could be what the ACC and Big Ten are waiting for is a similar kind of let's wait until this is more advantageous for us going forward, but I just if I'm Oregon State, Washington State, that's what maybe I'd sell to Cal and Stanford, but I, I just don't know if I could trust anything that says, yeah, we're, we're, we're going to stay here, we're not going anywhere, because they, they've, been, they've been told that more than once. Yeah, the grant of rights that was ironclad, you'd need a TV deal. I think you know that's probably why Oliver Luck is on the scene and probably what he's trying to put together, see what he comes up with. Spencer McLaughlin with us. Uh, Spencer, the, the goal here... You know, clearly Oregon and Washington were looking 20 years into the future saying, hey, we want to get to where college football is going to be. We don't want to have to clamor our way into the club, uh, you know, at the 11th hour. Let's get in the club and then uh, we'll figure out where we fit, you know, as this consolidation continues to unfold. Oregon State and Washington State have a different equation. They now have to position themselves to get into the club. We heard Kirk Schultz, the president at Washington State, say that they will continue to fund their programs on a Power 5 level. For how long, who knows? But if they, you're right. If they go to the Mountain West Conference and they continue to fund at a Power 5 level, they should blow doors on the Mountain West. They should, they should be in that conference championship game every year. They'd be you know, generating a whole lot more revenue. But let me ask you from a strategic standpoint, what do you do if you're those two schools and you go, okay, we got left out, but we don't want to be left out when the next round of realignment and expansion happens what can Oregon State and Washington State do? Because they can't change the media market. What can they control? They can control how much success they have or the, the best opportunity that they give themselves. They can control how good the opportunity is they provide themselves year in and year out to win and also build up a respectable brand. And, you know, I, I, I still go back to the Mountain West on that front. I don't think the American would be bad because it doesn't change their actual location, but I, I think playing in a conference that's established rather than one you scramble together is going to give you a stronger perception for the Big 12 down the line. I think that has to be the long-term goal for, for Oregon State and Washington State is if they're going to try and backdoor their way or find a way, you know, maybe knock uh, on, on, on the front door if they just make themselves too, uh, too appealing to pass up, I think the Big 12 is the conference that they'd have to be looking at there. So, has been very clear that they want to be in the Western time zone. They've got the Arizona schools. They've, they've got Utah and BYU for the mountain time zone, but they are not yet out on the West Coast. And if they're going to look out there, Oregon State, Washington State, San Diego State would all be options there, and you can differentiate yourself from the Aztecs for a conference that doesn't prioritize academics as much and, uh, and, and research dollars and such as the Big 12 does not to the same extent that the ACC, Big 10, and Pac-12 do. And you can go and try and run that conference or be one of the big players and heavy hitters over there for the next five, six years. And then when the Big 12 media deal that got uh, signed slash extended in October is up, then they can put themselves at the front of, of the Big 12's mind and say, hey, you're going to be looking for schools. You've wanted to go west. We are the best football teams out here. And we all know that that's, that's what drives the bus on, on the media rights and, and conference realignment front. All right, pivoting to the football itself, which I can't get I can't wait to get back to talking about. Question that you want answered in the preseason 
maybe game one against Portland State? Because game two is big for Oregon as they go to Texas Tech. But what question lingers in your mind about this season's team and, and maybe the early part of the season? How much better is the pass rush? Uh, I mean, last year, I, I think the Oregon State game was uh, a little bit more of a fluke than an indictment on the defense, which was really good against the run all season long. And the special teams put them in some bad spots. Don't get me wrong. They were really, really bad. And the bees just ran, ran all over them. But that was more an aberration than the norm for Oregon defending the run last year. But defending the pass, it was bad all season long. They were giving up big plays to, to Jack Plummer down at Cal. They had Colorado have a long touchdown against them. Like they, they struggled defending the pass a season ago. And the biggest reason is they had their lowest pass rush rate and, and sack rate since uh, 2000 or 2001, I think, is, uh, is the number. Like It, it was a historically bad year getting after the quarterback. And, you know, I, I don't know how much you can learn in Portland State. You you can maybe see something, uh, but ultimately it has to come against Power 5 competition at the end of the day. And I, I just look at what their defensive line is this year with Jordan Birch, Mateo Uyunglele, you return Mace Funa, you bring back Popo Amavai, who missed last year with an injury. He's really, really old. I think he and I are like the same age. But he can can be another guy to, to bolster that defensive line and – you compare that to what they had a season ago when, you know, Trevin Maia had snaps and Braden Swinson had snaps and uh, DJ Johnson led the team in, in sacks. Those guys had, had their moments, but it just wasn't there consistently. So do they have better high-end talent? I think on paper they do. Do they have better depth? On paper they do, but games aren't played on paper. They're played on the football field, and just like you, John, I'm, I'm so ready to watch some football that actually means something to somebody. Yeah, I mean, I keep telling people, people keep saying, oh, you're so busy, it's been so crazy in the last year. And I said, yeah, uh, and, and in and between all that, we've seen some games, seen some great games. So I'm excited. <laughs> Five teams in the top 18 in the AP preseason poll. Spencer McLaughlin, thank you. I appreciate you. Yeah, anytime. Thanks, John. Love that talk. What will Oregon State and Washington State do? What can they do? What should they do? Should they wait for Stanford and Cal? That's been the prevailing thought. The Mountain West Conference and the American uh, end up being uh, fallback options for Oregon State and Washington State. I think they have to figure this out sooner rather than later. You know, I've been told by others that they have till Thanksgiving. Drop dead would be January 1. I don't think you can wait that long. I think you have to get this sewed up before the start of the season. I think you kind of need some direction. You need to be able to tell your players, your recruits, you need to be able to tell your coaching staff what is happening in the in the near future. And it does start with Stanford and Cal, but at some point, Oregon State and Washington State have to come to the realization that they may be in this on their own. Coming up at 4 o'clock, Chris Benini of The Athletic will be joining us. He will be talking more in depth about Stanford and Cal and the overall landscape of the college football season. Oh, yeah, we have a season approaching. I had a poll over the weekend that I put out that gave a surprising result. I'll talk about it next. I don't know if you're on Twitter or whatever Twitter's calling itself these days, but I put out a couple of polls over the weekend. Uh, got a little bit of a surprising result on uh, on one of them. I asked... Which Pac-12 team in the Pacific Northwest will win the most regular season football games in 2023? The uh, Oregon State Beavers won that poll. 40% of the 4,030 people who voted in it picked the Beavers. 34% picked the Ducks. 18% picked the Huskies. 8% uh, picked Washington State. Maybe it's just more reflective of like more Oregon and Oregon State fans follow me on Twitter than Washington and Washington State fans, but I was surprised Washington 
only got 18% of the vote there. Uh, Stephen, does that surprise you a little bit or, eh, it's Twitter? Uh, I mean, it is Twitter, but it did surprise me a little bit. I voted uh, for Washington personally, and, yeah. and my reasoning is because you're going to give me the best coach out of the four and the best quarterback out of the four, and I'm going to take that team every time. Uh, I think Kalen DeBoer out of those four coaches. Now, I I think Jonathan Smith is right behind Kalen DeBoer if I was ranking those coaches, but I'd still have DeBoer number one. And then you look at the quarterbacks, Michael Penix Jr., I think he's the best quarterback out of the bunch, and I know Bo Nix is right there as well, but... I mean, what Penix did last season, if he stays healthy again, that offense has a lot of room to even improve this season. So you give me the best quarterback, you give me the best coach, I'll take Washington all day. A uh, couple of weird stories from the weekend. Story uh, uh, in baseball. Uh, Wander Franco, Rays shortstop, leaves giveaway day. That is his giveaway day. As Dominican authorities are investigating whether he had a relationship with a minor. Um, this comes out of a social media post that uh, was put out there, 14-year-old uh, girl and uh, a 22-year-old baseball player. Uh, in the center of this investigation, the Rays have placed him on a restricted list. He'll be out for six games. They explained his absence from the game over the weekend by saying they're giving him the day off. It's a giveaway day. It's the Franco kids 12 and under get a ball cap giveaway day and he doesn't play in the game why not just address this head on if you're the race and just say look um he's under investigation we're not comfortable playing him why the whole charade about oh he's taking a day off i don't know man it's it's just tough because i feel like i mean whether he is or not like let's just say hypothetically he's not in a relationship with the 14-year-old, and I sure hope he's not, like, his reputation is already going to be ruined, right? Like, I think people are always going to hold this against him, whether it's true or not. So I think for them, just do not address it and not to say, well, this is the reason why, and he's on the restricted list while we do an investigation. I think that's what they're trying to do, is trying to save his face just in case he hasn't done this. Um, and then, of course, if he did, then they'll easily be able to say, well, you know, we just held him out because we needed to investigate. So I think it's more to try to save him face, but I think it's not going to work no matter what happens. And you just got to hope that it's not true because that is disgusting. And uh, if it is true, I hope he goes away forever. There, I was telling a friend about this over the weekend. I spent a little bit of time in the Dominican Republic, and it is not unusual to see a younger, late to mid-teenaged girl in a relationship with an older male in that culture and and i'm not saying it's right and i'm not saying what he's doing is right i'm just saying it jumped out at me because he is from the dominican republic that it may in some respects be normalized to see a i'm not saying 14 year old but i'm saying like a 15 16 17 year old in a relationship with like a 22 23 year old person in fact i did a story on a kid named carlos rodriguez who was 22 years old who uh, was in the United States masquerading as a high school junior at a high school in Central California, and he had faked his birth certificate, and he happened to be dating a 15-year-old girl in high school. They were in a relationship. And I remember going to the parents of the 15-year-old and saying, you know, like, aren't you outraged? Aren't you, like, are you going to pursue statutory rape or, you know, what are you— and they were like, no, no, it's in his culture. It's, you know, and and that was sort of rationalized. And 
I also know that, um, you know, it's horrifying to think about a 14-year-old in a relationship with a 22-year-old. That's not a relationship. You know, that's a, a grown person taking advantage of a 14-year-old. But I, I wonder at what point, don't, don't be surprised if at some point if this does turn out to be true. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face hey, sorry Truth. to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.